Chapter Thirty Two of the Wild Huntress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Wild Huntress by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter Thirty Two: A Word About Mormon Monsters. Not long did I remain under the mental paralysis. There was no time for idle repining. The intelligence derived from the torn leaf had given me a cue for action, and my spirit struggled to free itself from the lethargy of grief. Hope whispered the watchword, Up and be doing, and I arose to obey its mandate. My heart was on fire, wildly, madly on fire. The contents of that epistle, while it imbued my spirit with the sweetest of all earthly pleasures, revealed to it the deadliest of dangers, imparting to it an anguish beyond expression. It told me far more than the writer herself knew, both of her love and what she had need to fear, for in her guileless innocence was she alike unconscious of the passion and the peril. Not so I. She had opened her heart before me, as on a printed page I could trace its tender inclinings. Had this been all, I should have been happy, supremely happy, but alas, that writing told me more, that she who had penciled it was in deadly peril. No, not deadly, it was not of life but of something far dearer to me a thousand times more dear her virgin honour now comprehended i in all their diabolical significance those wild weird words the wolf has slept in the lair of the forest deer the yellow fun will be his victim now knew i the wolf a wolf disguised in the clothing of the lamb it needed no remarkable acumen to tell me whom the figure referred the writings itself revealed him all but the name and that was manifest by implication, the man with whom Marion went away, he whom I had seen in clerical garb and guise, was the wolf of the metaphor, and that man was Stebbins, the Mormon. With him, too, Lillian had gone away. Not with words can I express the suggestive hideousness of this thought. To understand it in all its cruel significance, the reader should be acquainted with that peculiar sect, known as the Church of Latter-day Saints, should have read its history and its chronicles, Without this knowledge he will be ill able to comprehend the peculiar bitterness that in that hour wrapped and wrung my soul. Accident had made me acquainted with the Mormon religion, not with its tenets, for it has none, but with the moral idiosyncrasy of its most eminent apostles, as well as that of its humbler devotees, two very different classes of saints. In the animal world we seek in vain for the type of either class. The analogies of wolf and lamb, hawk and pigeon, cat and mouse, cannot be employed with any degree of appropriateness, not one of them. In all these creatures there are traits either of nobility or beauty. Neither is to be found in the life and character of a Mormon, whether he be a sincere neophyte or a hypocritical apostle. Perhaps the nearest antagonistic forms of the animal world by which we might typify the antithetic conditions of Mormon life, both social and religious, are those of fox and goose, though no doubt the subtle Reynard would scorn the comparison nor indeed is the fox a true type for even about him there are redeeming qualities something to relieve the soul from that loathing which it feels in contemplating the character of a ruling elder among the saints it would be difficult to imagine anything further removed from what we may term the divinity of human nature than one of these vulgar and brutal cunning and cruel are ordinary epithets and altogether too weak to characterize such a creature some of the twelves and of the seventies may lack one or other of these characteristics. In most cases, however, you may safely bestow them all. And if it be the chief of the sect, the president himself, 
you may add such other ugly pellitives as your fancy may suggest and be sure that your portraiture will still fall short of the hideousness of the original perhaps the most striking characteristic of these fanatics is the absolute openness of their cheat a more commonplace imposture has never been offered for acceptance even to the most ignorant of mankind it appeals neither to reason nor romance the one is insulted by the very shallowness of its chicanery while its rank plebishness disgusts the other even the nomenclature both of its offices and office-bearers has a vulgar ring that smacks of ignoble origin the names twelves seventies deacons wifedom smiths hiram and joseph pratt snow young cowdery and the like coupled as they are with affectation and imitation of scripture phraseology form a vocabulary burlesquing even the sacred book itself and suggesting by their sounds the true character of the mormon church a very essence of plebeian hypocrisy i have used the words fanatics but that must be understood in a limited sense it can only be applied to the geese the ignorant and besotted canile which the apostolic emissaries have collected from all parts of europe but chiefly from england scotland and wales the welsh as might be expected furnish a large proportion of these emigrant geese while strange as it may sound there is but one irish goose in the whole mormon flock there are but few of these birds of native american breed the general intelligence supplied by a proper school system prevents much proselytism in that quarter but it does not hinder the acute yankee from playing the part of the fox for in reality this is his role in the social system of mormondom the president or high priest and prophet himself the twelves and seventies the elders deacons and other dignitaries are all or nearly all of true yankee growth and to call these fanatics would be a misapplication of the word term them conspirators charlatans hypocrites and impostors if you will but not fanatics the mormon fox is no fanatic he is a professor in the most emphatic sense of the word but not a believer his profession is absolute chicanery he has neither faith dogma nor doctrine there are writers who have defended these forbans of religion and some who have even spoken well of their system captain stansbury the explorer has a good opinion of them the captain is at best but a superficial observer and unfortunately for his judgment received most courteous treatment at their hands it is not human nature to speak ill of the bridge that has carried one over and captain stansbury has obeyed the common impulse in the earlier times of the mormon church there were champions of the stansbury school to defend its members against the charge of polygamy in those days the saints themselves attempted a sort of denial of it the subject was then too rank to come forth as a revelation but a truth of this awkward kind could not long remain untold and it became necessary to mask it under the more moderate title of a spiritual wifedom it required an acute metaphysician to comprehend this spiritual relationship and the moralist was puzzled to understand its sanctity during that period while the saints dwelt within the pale of the gentiles country this cloak was kept on but after their exodus to the salt lake settlements the flimsy garment was thrown off being found too inconvenient to be worn any longer there the motive for concealment was removed and the apology of a spiritual wifedom ceased to exist it came out in its carnal and sensual shape polygamy was boldly preached and proclaimed as it had ever been practised in its most hideous shape and the defenders of mormon purity thus betrayed by their pet protégés dropped their broken lances to the ground the institution is even more odious under mormon than mohammed there is no redeeming point not even the romance of the harem for the zenana of a latter-day saint is a type of the most vulgar materialism 
or even the favorite sultana is not exempted from the hard workaday duties of a slave polygamy no the word has too limited a signification to characterize the condition of a mormon wife we must resort to the phraseology of the banil in company of a mormon had lillian gone away no wonder that my heart was on fire wildly madly on fire i rose from my seat and rushed forth for my horse the storm still raged apace clouds and rolling thunder lightning and rain rain such as that which ushered in the deluge the storm what cared i for its fury rain antediluvian would not have stayed me indoors not if it had threatened the drowning of the world End of chapter thirty two